0: This week on the Nationals Talk Podcast, Al Galdi of the Team 980 joins us. I'm going to go down memory lane with my guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Chase is cool with him too, but you know, that's my guy. I claim it. Also, New Year's resolutions for the Nationals. All that next Chase Hughes, Nick Ashew on the Nationals Talk Podcast, right now.
1: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Swing a line drive. Base in right field. Scherzer has done it again. Do you believe it? Howie Kendrick, part two. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions.
0: And Chase, one of the things that we've had to... I guess endure over the last few weeks is a quiet off season for the nationals. The good thing is, is we bring in somebody that's not quiet and has plenty of things to say. And an old friend of mine that I haven't talked to in forever from the team 980, Al Galdi. I, and and I'll, well, let's just start with this, Al, you know what we'll, we'll get to the nationals and we'll get to this Mets trade in a second. But first off, I am just glad to hear your sweet voice again in the same conversation, man. You and I before this were just reminiscing about old times. We go back, man. We go way back. It's good to talk to you.
2: Nick, it's nice to be with you. Chase, it's always great to talk to you. And yeah, we could probably spend about four hours talking about uh, all of the things we've witnessed and seen. Of course, some of them we probably can't talk about uh, on the air or on a podcast, but that's okay. We know that those things
0: happen, so we're all right. (laughs) I think at this point, some of it we can get away with. There's a statute of limitations, but we'll we'll, we'll decide whether that's really the right legal choice for us or not. But let's start with the, this is breaking news the minute we're taping this just a few minutes ago. The Mets trade for Francisco Lindor, and and this is the first really, like, we're expecting big moves from the Mets when you bring in a new owner uh, that wants to spend money and says he's not looking to make money, he's looking to win. Uh, We've seen this narrative before, right, where owners are spending money and bring in big names and do that type of stuff. But what's your initial reaction to that trade and really just, I I think, early on, the direction that the Mets are going to go now? Yeah, I mean, the Mets
2: have been a big market team that for years, because of the Wilpons, acted like a small market team. And it really sounds like with Steve Cohen, they're putting on their big boy pants and they want to start acting like a big market team. The Lindor trade is so interesting. He's a very good shortstop. He's going into a contract year. I've got to think you make this trade with an understanding that you are going to make every effort to sign him long term, because otherwise it's a pretty foolish thing to do as good as Lindor is giving up multiple prospects, highly touted guys just to get back one year Lindor. Now they're getting back. It looks like Carlos Carrasco as well, but look, if Lindor is about to be with the Mets for the next five, six, seven years, I mean, he's in his mid twenties. He's a very good offensive player. He's a good defensive player. He did not have a great 2020, but I think a lot of that can be excused, you know, given the situation of that season. It's a big deal. I mean, the national league East is not getting any easier for the Nats and, Uh, I know the Mets fans had kind of been waiting for that first big move to be made. I mean, they did sign James McCam, but this is a big boy move. This is, you know, you are here to be dealt with and you are here to be serious about contending.
3: Well, first of all, Al, it's great to have you on our show. I I love going on your show on the Team 980. And also, I've never told you this, but you're my dad's favorite radio host. He listens (laughs) to you every single day, uh, except he calls you. What's that? What's that? Papa Hughes is a yeah. fan. That's good. I believe he calls into your show as well. But the thing is, he calls you Goldie. He'll be like, hey, did you hear what Goldie said today? He had this great <laughs> stat. Well, that's close enough, so we'll take yeah. it. That's Uh, But speaking of the NL East, obviously 2020 was uh, a disappointment for the Nationals. And it was this bizarre year where they didn't play a full season and Nick Ashew is among those who have argued that it's an asterisk. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. We
0: forget it happened, Chase.
3: I want to get your opinion, though. Was 2020 an aberration for the Nationals or was it a sign of more to come? I
2: hope it was an aberration. My real concern is that it is a sign of things to come. And I, I, I guess what sticks with me is not that the Nats were bad. It's how bad they ended up being. They had a lot of problems in 2020 as a team. And, you know, the Nats, they're they're kind of teetering this line of expensive and old, but still good. And that's a hard line to keep walking. Now, it obviously worked in spectacular fashion in 2019. But what you you never want to be in baseball is upper tier payroll, lower tier record. And that's what they were last year. They were really bad defensively. Their rotation wasn't any good. Their bullpen was bad again. And their offense beyond two guys wasn't that good. You know, like Jan Gomes is all right, a few other people maybe. But after Soto and Turner, that offense was not much to write home about. So I, I think there's a decent chance with the right moves this offseason and that's are back to being in that 90-win territory this coming year. But, th- th- you know, I, what you don't want to do – this is what happened to the San Francisco Giants a few years ago, where they kind of kept the band together and they, they, they stayed together too long. And then it all kind of fell apart. The Phillies went through this, too. And with the Nats, I just hope that they're not, you know, becoming old and expensive and not very good. It's OK to be old and expensive and good. You don't want to be old and expensive and not very good. So I think this is actually a really big offseason for the Nats.
0: It's an offseason that's been quiet overall around Major League Baseball, except, of course, Francisco Lindor. It kind of changed things a little bit. But when you look at the Nationals right now, you add Josh Bell. So you're hoping you're getting 2019 Josh Bell, clearly, for that middle-of-the-order bat. But if you were to look at just the rest of that roster now, and we talk about how they're older, and we talk about the needs that they have, how would you prioritize the next things that they need to do to get this team just back to the postseason?
2: Yeah, so I think you could really argue a lot of different things for that. My biggest thing, honestly, is they've got to try to beef up the offense while also improving the defense. And that's why I've been very big on George Springer. I I think that would make so much sense for this team for so many different reasons. But primarily, good hitter, good defender, a center fielder who you could put in a corner spot to really upgrade your outfield defense. I don't know that they're willing to swim in the waters that it's going to cost to sign Springer. But we also don't know what it's going to cost to sign Springer you know this seems like a very depressed free agent market. So many of these owners are crying poor because of the pandemic so it may not cost say 200 plus million dollars to sign George Springer but that's kind of how I would try to attack it. the Josh Bell acquisition I like they didn't give up a lot to get him but Bell best case scenario is only going to help you offensively. He's a terrible defensive yeah. first baseman like the numbers are brutal so I, I mean I, and I like the acquisition but Their whole thing of, you know, they don't catch the ball well, they don't have great range. That's got to be solved. They've got to address that. So I would try to kind of do the two things at once, kill the two birds with the one stone. A guy like Springer could help you do that. There are other people you could try to target as well. That's what I would try to do, because if they get that one big bat and they can improve the run prevention, they can, like I said, they can be right back to being in that 91 territory.
3: What about the starting rotation? Uh, No Anibal Sanchez. So they probably need at least a fourth starter and they already have more money allocated to their rotation than any other team in baseball, more than 20 million than the next team. So what do you think they should do with the rotation? Yeah, I think they're going to have to try to
2: sign another version of Anibal Sanchez this offseason, you know, like Charlie Morton would have made a lot of sense, but he obviously came off the board. A while ago, I think with the Nats starting pitching, there's a, a bigger conversation. And that is, they've got to start churning out starters from their farm system. And they're just not doing that. Uh, you know, the Eric Fetty thing is not happening. It's not working out. And, you know, every year now, this three-way battle for the fourth and fifth spots, or, or at least the fifth spot, right, with Ross and Voth and Fetty, like, it these guys are who they are. Um, They really need those top pitching prospects in the minors that they have to pan out. You know, they need Jackson Rutledge to end up being what they want him to be. They need Mason Denneberg to end up being what they want him to be. When you look at the reality that the last guy who they drafted and developed who ended up producing for them as a starting pitcher at the major league level is Strasburg, and that's a decade ago, it's not good. Uh, Pitching is so fickle. These guys get hurt. It's like you don't want to be in the business of having to give out hundred-plus million-dollar contracts to fortify your rotation. Now, you know, to Mike Rizzo's credit, he's done an excellent job with that. Right, Max Scherzer contract, huge hit. Patrick Corbin contract so far, been a hit. But it's really it's a dangerous way to make a living that way. So, like to me, there's kind of a bigger picture thing, and I don't know if those guys would potentially be options for later this year, Rutledge and Denenberg. But they really need those guys to pan out for the immediate future. Like I said. You're going to have to just kind of go bargain shopping and see if you can, you know, go ahead and sign someone along the lines of a Sanchez. The other thing too, is their farm system, because it's not loaded, you're not really in a position right now to make a trade for a starting pitcher. You know, in the past, right, we've seen them trade for Gio Gonzalez trade for Doug Fister. I really don't want to be doing that. If I'm a Nats fan, their farm system is not loaded right now. I don't want to further deplete it by making a trade like that. So I think you try to tread water for another year with the rotation. Obviously, the Scherzer contract is off the books after this year. Maybe they resign him. You know, it depends on the year he has and the help uh, he displays. But that's another area where I think with that rotation, it's like you're kind of teetering here. And of course, it's a, it's a big deal this year. What kind of help you get from Strasburg too?
0: What do you think about the Corey Kluber potential?
2: Yeah, I'm open to that. Um, you know, he's really fallen off the last few years. Yeah, uh, but for a period of time, he was great. We all know that. And if you can get a year out of him, you know, and then kind of figure it out the year after that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you have to really evaluate him medically and see what you think of him, but I'd be open to that. You know, on a one-year contract, I'm not really against anyone on a one-year deal. Uh, You, you know, you can catch lightning in a bottle. He obviously has displayed inability to pitch at a high level. It's not that long ago that he pitched at a high level. It's just that, you know, the last few years, he's really become a much different pitcher.
3: Al, oh, you're a big stats guy. You also appreciate the history of the game. How good is Juan Soto? He's spectacular. Uh, I really don't
2: think you can overstate how good he's been and the trajectory that he's on. Every time he reaches another milestone, it's always like the same three or four people he's in the company of. And it's, you know, Ted Williams, Mel You know, Jimmy Fox, like people like that, like these all time immortals, he's up there because he's so young and he's producing at such a high level. To me, he's the heir apparent to Alex Ovechkin in this city, the guy who's really young, really good. You know, it's a little different, I guess, because Soto won a championship so early in his career. We had to, you know, wait with Ovi, and that became kind of a part of the Ovechkin story, the pursuit of the championship. But Soto, to me, like he's got charisma the way Ovechkin does. You know, English is not his first language, but he's you know trying to learn the language the way Ovechkin did. So I, to me, like there are a lot of parallels there. But he's awesome. And, and, and the thing with Soto that I respect so much is, you know, great hitter, we get that. He really has gotten better defensively. He took great strides year one to year two as a left fielder. They like him enough defensively now to where Dave Martinez late last season was playing Soto in right field, which is the difficult, more difficult defensive spot. And it sounds like, you know, depending on what they do in the outfield this offseason, he could be the everyday right fielder next year. So he's not just someone resting on his, his on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Like, he's trying to become a better all-around player. He has. I think he totally should have gotten more MVP consideration for last year, if not for the, you know, missing, what was it, like the first 10 games through the false positive COVID-19 test. Even with that missed time, he was in the MVP conversation. If you look at the numbers from last year on a, on a plate appearance per plate appearance basis, Nobody was better as a hitter last season. Um, it's, it's crazy. He is, you know, in, in so many ways, he is what Bryce Harper was supposed to be. You know, and Harper was good, but I don't think was ever as great as he was supposed to be. Soto is that great. Like, he's on that level already. And I think what's also really encouraging is he's done it now for three years. So this isn't like, well, is he really this good? It's like, no, he's three for three. You know, every year he's been excellent. <laughs> There's no reason to think that that's not going to continue for many years to come.
0: At this point, you know I look at Soto and I look at him as somebody that surpassed Bryce Harper because he's just one stayed healthy, knock on wood. But two, we've seen the growth and the the consistency out of that. And it's interesting because I I look at that growth that Soto's had, and you you talk about his maturity and and his work ethic, and already the type of player he's become so young. And I know it's down the road, Al, but I think of you know we 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 lose Anthony Rendon, and then you see, of course, Bryce Harper gone before that. A couple of homegrown guys. I know it's not an immediate thing the Nationals need to think about, but if Juan Soto continues to project into the player that we think he's going to be, considering the player that he already is now, man, it is going to cost them so much money to keep him, and they cannot let a player like him go. I mean, he can be the face of baseball.
2: Yeah, it's, like you said, years down the line, but it's never too early to start trying to get ahead of that it's tough because he's a Boris guy and Boris (laughs) clients almost never do this where they sign the extension years before hitting free agency. You're really envious of other teams that have done that. You know, the Braves obviously did it with Acuna and Albies and, and other teams have done it too. And it just doesn't seem like it's a realistic possibility with Soto. Now it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Like if I was the Nats, I would go to Soto now and try to figure something out and buy out the arbitration years and hopefully buy out a few years of free agency and just see if you can figure this out. But if the economics in baseball continue to go as they have gone, you know, what kind of a contract is he going to get, right? I mean, are we talking like $500 million years from now? You know, like I, I think you, you got to be open to anything like that, but he may well be worth it. And, and the thing with Soto, too, is because his career started at such a young age, he can maybe cash in twice like that where he cashes in, you know, 25, 26, whatever the season will be. And then like four or five years after that, he cashes in again. You know, most guys, they sign that one mega contract. It's late twenties, early thirties. The next time they become a free agent, it's not as much. Like was a good example of that. He got the huge deal from the Nats in 2015. He'll be a free agent after this year. He's not going to get $210 million again. Soto's young enough to where he could have two bites at the apple. That's extremely rare, but I think he'll be worth it. Uh, you know, this is not a fluke. He's a superstar. And uh, he's—I mean—he's only going to get better. You know, he's so young. It's—it's it's like this is going to continue to grow, and what he can be—it's a, it's a really exciting thing to think about. That's a good point about him
3: getting uh, two bites at the apple. If all the stars align and Scott Boris' his plan works to a T, you know, maybe he could push a billion dollars in salary by the time his career is <laughs> yeah. over, which would be insane. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Boris' clients, you mentioned Max Scherzer and his contract future—the seven-year, two hundred ten million dollar deal he signed in twenty fifteen. If he were to sign a new contract now uh, or maybe after this coming season, what do you think is a fair value for him if you're Mike Rizzo in the Nationals? I think so much of it is going to depend on
2: Scherzer this year. You know, I think some of the shine has come off, Max, over the last year and a half, just because, you know, the body started to break down a bit and the performance, especially this past year, wasn't at that Cy Young level. But he's still a good pitcher. And I would think, you know, maybe like a two-year contract with an av i don't know 15 million a year 20 million a year again again it's going to depend on the, the year he has if he has a really good year then you may have to do longer than two years um you know you might be doing three or four even though i don't know that anyone would be in love with that for a guy his age but you know he may be able to command something like that but if not you know you'd like to think you could do just a couple of years i'd also like to think and i don't know where max is at on this but you know it's not going to be about every last nickel and dime you know he's made 210 million dollars so if he doesn't get every penny possible you know i would hope that's not the end of the world for the guy and maybe he'd he'd give the nats a bit of a discount um i would certainly be open to max beyond this season but i think this is a really big season he's got to show that the body holds up you know he's had these issues with the neck and the you know the trapezius and it's always seems like kind of the upper back like it's been kind of a mystery with that, but. And, you, you know, you have to see, is he pitching at a, a level of like A-plus or is it more like the, you know, the B, B-plus that he was at last season? Because there is a difference. Like, you get paid a ton of money when you're an A-plus guy. He was an A-plus guy for years. He hasn't been that, though, uh, in about a year, year and a half. And uh, so I think it's, it's a big season in that way. You know, like, where are we truly with Max Scherzer as a pitcher? But I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he's, he's gone after this year. Um, you know, it's going to depend, like I said, on how he does this year.
0: You know, I look at this division and we talk about the Mets clearly trying to win now with a new owner willing to spend money. We know how good Atlanta is. Philadelphia is certainly a question mark. They, they've underachieved throughout just Bryce Harper's time there alone. But you even have the Miami Marlins, who I laughed at. I said they had no chance of making the playoffs where they started last year. And I fully admit I was wrong. And I said on this podcast, that if I'm wrong, that's fine. I will admit I was wrong. Clearly you have to admit it if they make the playoffs. But when you look at this NL East now, I mean, I remember the days hour it was like the Nats were winning it by double digits and you're going down to the end of the season. And they're just kind of coasting through, which in a lot of ways probably didn't help them because they weren't in that playoff mode. Like they were when they won the world series. But when you look at this division now, how competitive is it? Like, is this the point where you can say almost every team in there? Atlanta's the best team in the division. But when you look at Miami, Philadelphia, New York, I know some of them are trying to improve. But is it a division now where look at it and say, this is one of the better divisions in baseball because of the competitiveness, even the trajectory of some of these teams? Or do you look at the Marlins especially as like a one-year kind of one-hit wonder type deal? So I do think with the Marlins, there's definitely – reason to
2: think they're going to step back this year. The Marlins finished last regular season two games above 500 with a run differential well into the negative territory. So that's usually indicative of you weren't as good as your records suggest that you are. Now, there are some good young pieces with the Marlins, right, like Sixto Sanchez, people like that. Um, but I, I could see the Marlins it back, but to your point, you're saying, so you're saying now that I should
0: life. definitely say again, that they're not going to make the playoffs and this time I'll be right. There
2: you go. There you <laughs> yes.
0: go. Keep, that's Keep all I need. It'll be true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, but the, the division is much better than what it was just a few years ago. I mean, you go back to when Dusty Baker was here and Dusty did a nice job in the regular seasons there, but they certainly benefited from a bad NL East over those years. I and mean, especially, I think it was that second year. The Mets, like we said, they're acting like a major market team again. The Braves are tremendous and never get enough credit for how good they have been become again and how quickly they became good again. You know, this is three straight division titles the Braves won. This, this is their division. Like, they have dominated this division the last few years. And I still believe the Phillies are better than what we've seen, even though they've really stumbled the last few years. Their bullpen has been so bad the last few years. So it's not an easy division. I think it's better than the National League Central, which for a while was the premier division in the National League. NL West is certainly on the rise with the Padres, but that's the Dodgers division to lose and beyond L.A. and San Diego. You got big questions about the other three teams there. So I I think for sure right now on paper, the East is the best of the bunch in the league. And you have teams. I mean, the Braves are positioned to be good for years the Mets, if they make the right moves, are positioned to be good for years. The Mets have a lot of good young hitters already, so it's not that far fetched that the Mets become, you know, good and they sustain that. And you know, we'll see with the Marlins and Phillies. It's tough though right now. the, the Nats, the, they're. It's one thing when you can beat up on a bad division. That's not what this is. So they, like I said, it's a, it's a interesting time for the Nats as a franchise. And if they make the right moves, they can keep this going. If they don't, you know, you got to be careful. You can get buried in a situation like this where. Others around you are rising and you're either staying the same or starting to fall a little bit.
3: As far as uh, long-term contracts, I know that's uh, sort of a big topic of discussion right now with the Nationals. Trey Turner is another one uh, that the Nationals have to figure out in terms of his future. Um, Does he fit the profile of someone that you think deserves a long-term investment as a shortstop and, and with the way he plays? Yes. And I think what's nice about the Trey Turner situation is
2: he doesn't figure to command the, you know, bonkers long-term contract that a guy like Soto does or so many other guys end up getting, I would think you can do a Trey Turner deal at a pretty reasonable level. So, I mean, you're going to have to go, I would think, into the hundreds of millions or close to a hundred million, but it's not going to be, you know, 200 plus million dollars. It's not, it shouldn't be like $150 million. It should, it should be, somewhere between like 80, 90 to 120, 130, 140, depending on how many years you end up doing. Trey Turner is a good player. He's not like an elite player. Uh, Trey Turner is obviously a fast player. Trey Turner defensively is kind of mixed. You know, there's some stuff that says he's good, some stuff not as much. So it's not something that I think should end up costing you elite level money. Like, you know, Lindor is going to cost the Mets a ton of money, assuming they want to resign him long-term. That's not what the Turner thing should be. The other thing, too, with Trey Turner is he's going into his age 28 season. So he's in that range of your athletic prime. So it's like you can get him now and then, you know, three, four years later, you know, it may not be that he's Trey Turner anymore. So I would hope the Nats can figure this out with him. I think what's encouraging with him clearly is that he has taken steps forward offensively the last few years. It's interesting with him because his first year, 2016, he was great as a hitter. Then he kind of came down back to earth the next two years. And then the last two years, he's really been better, especially, of course, this past season. I don't think he's as good of a hitter as he showed this past year. I mean, he really was awesome this past year. But I think he's good. I think he's good. I think he's a reliable player. You know, everyone seems to like him. And I think it's probably a manageable number that will end up doing a deal to keep him here for, say, you know, four or five years moving forward, which I think everybody would want to see happen.
1: Yeah, I'd much rather see these, uh, these shorter contracts, Chase, you know that, than these double-digit contracts that baseball just loves to hand out. And they're always horrible at the end. But I guess that's just the way baseball operates. Galdi, really appreciate it, man. It's good talking to you, good catching up. And hopefully we'll get some more movement from the Nationals soon and see some of these things addressed that they need to do because there's nothing worse than watching this team not make the postseason given we've been kind of spoiled over the last few years with this team
2: yeah no doubt there are a lot of moves out there a lot of guys out there so at some point the activity should pick up and like you said hopefully it is soon
1: all I can think of is the little meme where they're just poking the guy with the stick and it just by the way Nick yeah
3: your your voice is getting deepened by zoom again
1: you sound oh am I having the weird is am I getting the weird effect again (laughs) well don't cut it out of the podcast we're gonna leave it because this is what happens with technical difficulties maybe now I sound more like Goldie or Kevin Sheehan so there you go (laughs) hey do the do the old school I love you but you're crazy man I love you, man, but you're crazy. You're crazy. (laughs) Cut this out of the podcast, T-Mac. We're leaving it in. Thanks, Galdi. (laughs) All right, no problem.
0: Thanks again, Al Galdi. Uh, You know, the good thing about Galdi is you could talk baseball with him, Chase, for like hours and hours and hours. I've had those discussions many days. By the way, the Orioles, even more with him. So we're not going to talk the Orioles on a national stock podcast, but just saying, you want to talk Orioles with Galdi too. You can do Uh, that. Uh,
3: The the guy's like an encyclopedia. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, he loves numbers probably more than you, which is scary to think about, because you are a numbers <laughs> nerd, but I leave the math up to you on this podcast. It is New Year's, which means we have to do the cliche, come up with a New Year's resolutions for something. So we're going to look at New Year's resolutions for the Nationals. Isn't it funny, though, too? It's like, New Year's is always so funny to me, Chase, because it's what it really is is just like a new day on the calendar. We've clearly seen that like things haven't changed yet in the world, but you still have that fresh start in your mind of like, okay, things are going to be different. Let's make some changes. We're going to stick with the Nationals when it comes to changes. I want to go to you first. What's the first New Year's resolution you have for the Nationals, if you could control it clearly?
3: Well, yeah, first of all, 2020, we all know it was a terrible year. Although, Yeah, I we did, don't
0: talk about it. We just It's gone. We forget about it. I <laughs> did
3: have my daughter born in 2020, so I'll always That's remember true. it for that. That's but yeah, everyone was like, oh, the year's over. And then First week of 2021, uh, craziness happens again. It's
0: just just trickling. It's bleeding in a little bit. It'll it'll, it'll be gone soon. (laughs) We'll be fine. Uh,
3: My first resolution for the Nationals is to improve their defense. Uh, We've talked a lot about it on this podcast. According to fan they were 23rd among MLB teams in defensive runs saved. Baseball reference uh, ranks teams by defensive efficiency, and they were 28th in that. And that's actually pretty simple. It's just a percentage of balls in play that are converted into outs. They also had the ninth most errors. So they got to get better at defense, and that will help their pitching staff. It will help everything. So, my first resolution is improve your defense.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you think of Josh Bell, and we know he's going to be somebody that's going to bring a bat to them. If you, again, 2019, Josh Bell is what we're hoping for, but 2020 didn't count. So it's fine. But you <laughs> know, he's not, he's not going to help you defensively. And, and they haven't really made, and this is what drives me nuts about the baseball offseason, too, where, You just, there's, it's so quiet right now. And I know this was kind of expected because it's been this way in the past, long before we were in a pandemic and and teams weren't willing to spend money right away necessarily anyway, but they, they have to get better defensively. I mean, I think of just. I actually go back to even before they won the world series, when you start that season and you're looking at just the, the the fielding errors they were making and the problems they had then, it's not like this was a one-year thing. This was a problem that was starting even before then and it's just it continues to get worse. And as a team gets older and starts to have these plug and play guys in their chase, yeah, it's you start to get a little more worried as the team kind of the trajectory doesn't look as strong as it used to.
3: Well, yeah, they they didn't find defense at first base, so they're gonna have to find yeah. it somewhere else. And you're right. I mean, this goes back to even further than that. Little things, the little things have always been an issue for the Nationals when they haven't had successful seasons and in David Martinez's first year, it was a problem. It was a big point of emphasis going into 2019. They fixed it at the right time and won a world series, but then those issues cropped up again last year.
0: Yeah. I think my first new year's resolution has to be uh, Ryan Zimmerman getting a farewell tour. I, I don't want like to, I, mean, I just don't want to see him have kind of just a, a, a post on Twitter and Instagram and that that's it. Like He deserves more than that. He's Mr. National. And I understand Juan Soto is the star of this team. And you can talk about Trey Turner or Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg. But Zimmerman was the, he was the start of this. He was the guy that really became the first star of this team, the face of the franchise when nobody cared about him. I mean, when they were just, they were awful. Nobody wanted to watch this team play baseball. He was there for that. So he deserves that. Even if it's some sort of just a veteran's minimum contract, he plays Look, I don't know. He gets 50 at bats maybe not even that. I I don't care. I just want to see him. He deserves that opportunity.
3: Well, they seem to have a place for him behind Josh Bell. Now they need someone who can hit lefties, someone who could be a defensive replacement. So it would make sense. And you know, if you can get the vaccine distributed and get fans back in the ballpark, at least later in the summer, that'd be a great way to send him off.
0: You know, that's another thing too, because like they didn't really get a chance to have a celebration with fans other than the parade, obviously, from the World Series. Like, you still need the second part of that is you know, banners and ring ceremonies. And, and they, haven't had a, had, they haven't had a chance to have that with fans. It would be really great to see if they can, you know, especially because they're talking about maybe pushing the baseball season back uh, till Memorial Day or something like that. If that's the case, you can get some fans in there. To have fans in there and have it be a part of his farewell tour and also have that celebration of the World Series with fans, like, all of that needs to come together. That, to me, is so important. Well,
3: he could also just show up in civilian clothes.
0: No, it's not uh, the same. Stop it. You don't he get to know. No. Well, he,
3: he could show up to all of that, like Alex Ovechkin at Nationals Park, just completely <laughs> right. hammered for everything. Yeah,
0: well, I, you know, I would like to see him Ryan Zimmerman hammered, actually. That would be kind of funny. <laughs> my, uh,
3: my second resolution would be uh, Victor Robles needs to get better offensively. Uh, you know, last year he hit just 220. He had a 608 OPS. That was after a promising first full MLB season where he had 17 homers, stole 28 bases, Had a 745 OPS, wasn't spectacular, but it was a decent start to his career. And generally, the Nationals need to get more out of their outfield spots outside of Juan Soto. You know, they led the majors in wins above replacement in left field last year because they had Juan Soto, but they were near the bottom, both in center and right field, uh, both at negative 1.1 war, according to baseball reference. Uh, Third worst center, center field production. So even with his defense, they ranked that poorly and they were fifth worst. And right field so they got to do something about that and
0: Victor Robles uh just needs to prove that he's more than just a glove yeah and that's what's frustrating too is you have the a lot of these guys that it's just one or the other Josh Bell great bat uh but defensively then Victor Robles is basically the opposite and you just they need to, I know it's easier said than done right like it's so simple to be like well go out and get a guy that can play defense and hit well okay it's going to cost you on top of that but right. it is kind of that situation where you, you get what you pay for. And this is why I wanted George Springer. I, I would have loved to see George Springer be a part of this organization. And I, I just didn't seem like they're going to spend the money on that or, and, you know, who knows who else, but they, they need to go out and address this, uh, a certain spots where they can actually have, have guys that can do both.
3: Certainly. And I think the outfield is the place to get it. You know, whether it's George yeah. Springer and you pay a bunch of money or it's maybe Michael Brantley, he would be a defensive upgrade, I think even at his age. So they got to find it somewhere. And the outfield is the logical place.
0: Yeah. My second year's resolution. I got to figure out Max Scherzer's uh, contract. I I understand he's getting older, but the front end of their rotation has been one of their biggest strengths for a long time. And this is going to be a conversation that surrounds this team. We know how this works. It's, it, it's going to be the same thing with Alex Ovechkin. It was the same thing with Bryce Harper. It was the same thing with Kirk Cousins. And it happens in every city around the country. Guys that are stars that are in contract years or even coming close to a contract year, that becomes a discussion. The media asks them about it. It's all over social media. It, it's it, And you can get mad at it, but it's the truth because you want to know what Max Scherzer's future is because he's incredibly important in this organization. But you do have to then toe that line. I know they love to spread the money out for like 30 years with guys, but he is still so, like, they can't just, they, they have to have some sort of plan B. And we don't know whether there's anybody right now that's in this farm system that you can trust that's going to come up and even come close to being, you know, not, not going to take his place. Clearly that's impossible. But like, you don't even know if there's somebody that right now you're comfortable enough within the farm system that you say, well, okay, you know, give him a year or two and he's going to be the next ace of this team. I just don't feel comfortable with that right now. Yeah, there's no one like that. I mean,
3: if it happens in 2021, a new contract for Max Scherzer, I would guess it happens after the 2021 season because he had a down year. He can bet on himself, yeah. make a lot more as a uh, ambulance goes by my house. And you hear the siren. <laughs> uh, for my third New Year's resolution, I'm going to stick in the rotation. Steven Strasburg has got to stay healthy. You know, he's going into the second year of a seven-year, $245 million contract. He's got a nerve issue in his right wrist. Uh, the Nationals have expressed confidence that he'll be fine but they've just invested so much money in that part of their roster. It's 61.3% of their payroll is in the starting rotation. And it's basically set aside for three players, Scherzer, Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. And I mentioned it earlier in an interview with Al Galdi, but they've uh, got 86 million uh, going to the rotation. That's 20 million more than the next team, the Astros for next year. And they still need to get a fourth starter. So they're going to pay even more money than they're already paying. So they got to get some money back from that investment. Steven Strasburg, Has to stay healthy because we know what their ceiling
0: is with him. It's a World Series team. Their ceiling without him, I think, is much lower. The problem is, is a lot of his history has not been staying healthy, and that's what really scares me. It was the right decision to re-sign him, but you know, with most of these contracts, if we're just being honest, it it certainly is a risk, especially somebody that has that that injury history. My third is going to piss you off, and I am okay with it. Chase, here we go. Figure out third base and figure out if Carter boom can be any semblance of a professional baseball player because he hadn't shown it so far. <laughs> and I know what you're going to do. That's I harsh. know you're going to point out a few random stats. They're going to say, well, you know, he's got potential and I still believe in him. And listen, I appreciate that. Like you absolutely love Carter Keyboom. I think you sit and watch his few highlights that exist and listen to Casey and Jojo and boys to men and just <laughs> have a love fest with it. There may be some sort of shrine in your closet to Carter Keboom, but he has done nothing nothing to prove that he can be a major league player right now. And it worries me because I know Anthony Radon cost a lot, but it would have been really nice to have that corner of the infield solidified.
3: You know, actually, I had a feeling you were going to go this route, and I'm just going to quote a very simple quote from Dwayne Haskins, former Washington football coach. You've
0: already lost credibility now. You've ruined it.
3: It was a very low moment in his time here, and he said, don't be a fan later. So when Carter Keboom turns things around – don't be a fan later. And uh, this one's going to age much better than the first time Dwayne
0: Haskins. Oh, okay. So i uh, listen. I'm glad you're sticking to your guns and you go right through that and just keep on, just keep on supporting him. I have absolutely no confidence in that whatsoever, <laughs> but you know what? Don't get me wrong. I'd like to be wrong because it would help the team. It's not like I'm rooting against the guy. I just have to go with the facts that are in front of me and you just don't see it. It's like, I wasn't rooting against Dwayne Haskins. I wanted to be wrong, but I said, this guy's got no shot at being a starter with this team. And it, Clearly, I was right there. So you know what, Chase? I'm probably going to be two for two, but that's fine.
3: Well, the Nats need either him or some combination of him, Victor Robles, Luis Garcia, to, to bring the bats because they're only going to be able to add so much to this lineup, and those guys are their best opportunity to improve from within. So, look, yes, Carter Keeboom needs to be better moving forward.
0: You know, now that I think about it, Dwayne Haskins is looking for a job. Maybe he can play third base. I don't know. He's got an arm, <laughs> so maybe that would it's work. He's got a cannon. Yeah, he does. All right, let's move on to the walk-off. Walk us off, Chase. Uh, so I have a
3: bit of a moral dilemma and it oh involves boy. gambling. I had never put a sports bet down in my life, but they've got this app now Gambet, And I was looking through the odds in the preseason. and I saw Ron Rivera was 21st among NFL coaches for coach of the year. And I did the math and I was like, well, all I have to do is put down $17. And if he wins that award, then I get $500 because the odds were so stacked in my favor And it looks like I might actually win that bet. And the reason why it's a moral dilemma and I feel kind of bad is because the reasons why he might win that are not because he won the division at seven and nine. It's because he battled cancer throughout the season and ushered the team through these horrible controversies. Some of them are just deeply disturbing. And I might like win money off that, Nick. So I'm, I'm thinking, what I should do is, if I do win that money, I should donate at least a decent portion of it to some good cause. I'm gonna look up like what Ron Rivera has championed before, but uh, it just feels a little greasy. Should should I feel bad about that?
0: I, I mean, listen, I, I understand where you're coming from, this, and that's great if you want to donate some money for it. But you know what he did? Like you didn't control it. You know, it's like he I, like he overcame an incredible amount of obstacles. But that's just a testament to like how strong he is, how mentally tough he is, or physically tough, I guess, too. I wouldn't beat yourself up so bad over it because all it really was was you having confidence in the fact that he could win this because of the great job that he's done and all of the things that he's overcome. But I will never, ever tell somebody not to donate money to a good cause. So if that's what you plan on doing with it, that's cool. And if you want to donate the rest of it to me, (laughs) I'll also take that chase if you're feeling guilty. I'll take the rest of the cash if that works for you. Uh, well, it, it feels well, it feels a little bit icky, but I, I also want to mention
3: so my dad likes to bet on the washerball team before every season. And this year, he bet the over under on wins, which was five and a half. He already wow. won that. He bet they'd make the playoffs, he already got that. He bet they'd win the division. He also bet on Ron Rivera winning coach of the year and Alex Smith winning comeback player of the year. Wow, so he might sweep
0: because wow. of Washington football. <laughs> We may, need,
3: seven
0: games. we may need to talk to him for some gambling advice because clearly, <laughs> although he did the worst thing that you could do, and that's betting with your your heart and not your head. Like he bet essentially rooting for a team that he loves, which is He a does it every year. Last year he thing. lost money, but the year before he actually yeah.
3: won money.
0: Well, I guess eventually a blind squirrel finds a nut is what they say, right? You just keep <laughs> right. betting on that team and eventually something's going to happen. Uh, I don't have anything as cool as you with that, but I know we recommend shows a lot on here and you're going to be surprised at the show that I'm going to recommend. Uh, we we watched the queen's gambit and i thought that was a show all about just like these stupid kings and queens and you know some random just all these other shows that are out there that bore me and just the the royalty and i I just don't care it's actually about chess and it's really cool now i'm a chess expert i want you to know that chase i'm very much a chess expert but surprisingly it turned out to be a very good show with some good twists and uh i I would absolutely recommend watching because it's only i think seven episodes
3: yeah, I, I wonder about that because it's about chess. Like it just I'm doesn't I'm telling you though, anymore.
0: but it's it's like more than chess. It's not just it's about like this chess phenom, but she also has like a lot of other things to overcome and there's a lot of conflict and it's it's worth it. It's worth watching.
3: All right, I'm I'm still uh still working on some other shows, but I'll I'll put
0: it on the list. I mean, listen, it's going to be harder now. We got more sports coming up, but we won't have football in a few weeks. I mean, playoffs going to go quick, so won't have baseball right away, so it's just hockey and basketball, and they'll be off nights, and there you go. I'm just saying, you'll thank me later, Chase. You'll thank me later. (laughs) All right. If you haven't subscribed to the National Stock Podcast, make sure you do. Give us a follow on all of the socials as well. We will talk to you next week.